many centuries ago, Job, in reflecting on the greatness of God and his creation, wrote these words. And these are but the fringes, the outer fringes of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. How then can we understand the thunder of his power? How indeed. And so I approached this topic with great dividends and a great sense of inadequacy because none of us can comprehend the total greatness of God. And as if to reassure me, um, this morning I got up feeling, you know, as I often do before I speak, inadequate for the topic, switched on the um, radio and the Christian station and it started immediately with um, the beginning of the song, How Great Is Our God, which I could almost hardly believe was just so exactly, just exactly that point. Not even the introduction, it was the words. And so I was encouraged that we can try to get some glimpse of the greatness of God. And I want to pick up where Tony left off last Sunday, that the greatness of God is shown more in his poverty than in his richness. In other words, it is shown in the person of the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to look closely at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, and be a good idea if you could either turn to it or flick to it or whatever you do to find it. Let us read those six verses. He is the image, he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And the commentator C.F.D. Mole said, wrote, These stupendous words apply to one who only some 30 years before had been crucified. The identification of that historical person, Jesus Christ, the Nazarene who had been ignominiously executed, with the subject of this description is staggering and fairly calls out for explanation. So the key, the key to that link between a crucified criminal and the Lord of glory is, that, is the resurrection. Over and over again in the New Testament, the writers say, um, say this. Um, Peter, for instance, on the day of Pentecost said to the crowd, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, by raising him from the dead. Paul, for instance, said to the Athenian philosophers, God has given proof of this, proof of the person that Jesus was, to all men by raising him from the dead. 
And so let us look at these verses more closely. He is the image of the invisible God. We have a weird phrase in English, the spitting image. I did look up the etymology and I'll spare you it, but um, that the word here, the word here is the, the word that, from which we have got that woefully overused word icon in English, but it basically means a, a stamp in wax where um, the figure that you have you put into wax and you get an exact, exact replica in the wax. And although we are made in the image of God, as it says in Genesis, Christ is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews it says, he is the exact representation of his being. That word is fascinating, the word for representation. It's a really complex one and I got all interested in it at one point. The Greek word is hypostasis and it has, it's so complex that in our Bibles it's um, translated in about three or four different ways. It's the real essence compared to what merely appears to be. It can also be translated as the basis or the reality or the foundation or the confidence. And so the image we see in Christ of God is the real thing. And then compare this to, to the beginning of the Gospel of John, which says in the beginning, the word was with God. And we might say, therefore, that Christ is the visible form of the invisible God or the audible word of the inaudible God. And in Christ, we can see and hear and know what God is like in a way that we can grasp. We can, it's really hard to look at the Milky Way. It's not hard to look at the Milky Way, it's quite easy, but it's hard to look at the Milky Way and think God is greater than all that and to know that there are other universes. And at one point I thought, oh, I'm going to get something on Google about how many billion stars there are meant to be. And it's, you can't compute it in your brain, so it's no point. That is impossible in many ways for us to even start to think about. And yet in Christ we see what God is like. And it goes on to say he's the firstborn of all creation, the pattern to which we are all meant to be conformed. And this echoes very much what it says in Proverbs 8, which we did touch on last year in the teaching. Proverbs 8 is um, the chapter about, or one of the chapters about wisdom, capital W. And the ancient commentators understood this to mean the spirit or the word of God. And Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22, on, I'm going to select a some of the verses in the next few verses. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works, firstborn of all creation. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no ocean, oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water. So I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, so other, other things that happened. I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. And those words emphasise 
the and and there's many others in other places in the Bible that that emphasise that Christ is the firstborn of all creation. But then Paul goes on. He moves from this thought of the firstborn to emphasise that Christ, in fact, is the creator. And verse 16 says, By him all things were created. And he spells it out. He doesn't just leave you to imagine what all things are. He says, All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. I thought visible and invisible is interesting, isn't it? Visible, we can, that's the things we can touch, the tangible things, the things we can see. Invisible includes lots of stuff that we can't see, except with x-rays and stuff in our bodies, but also all the things like atoms and molecules and neurons and all that sort of thing. And even things like our emotions and all the things that, and electricity, can't see electricity. There's lots of things where we only see the effect of it. So Paul is covering all bases by saying this. And indeed in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6, he says, There is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And so his was both a creative utterance, the word spoken and the word spoke things into being and it is also a sustaining utterance. Hebrews 1 says that he sustains all things, there's that all things again, by his powerful word. Now, if this seems a bit hard to imagine, somebody speaking and things happening, think how at a much lesser level we can speak our own words into being. We know what kind of effect our words can have. The effect of our words in shaping lives for good or ill. We know how we can say things that damage people, that turn the course of somebody's story, somebody's life, our, our words change things the way that we, where we speak. And I'll leave you to imagine that, but just you can easily go from that to think how much more a creator could do. So, verse 17. He is before all things, we've already looked at that, and in him all things hold together. Everything, everything in the whole universe finds its purpose in him. The whole created universe of time and space. Everything is connected and maintained by him. There's a wonderful verse in a poem by Emily Bronte, the author and poet of the 19th century. Though earth and man were gone, and suns and universes ceased to be, and you were left alone, every existence would exist in thee. I'm going to read that again. Though earth and man were gone, and suns and universes ceased to be, and you were left alone, every existence would exist in thee. And this amazing person, this amazing one, 
is linked to us in verse 18. The head of all creation is the head of his body, the church. He is the first beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, it says. Again, here we have the resurrection as the pivot upon which all this hinges. It's one thing to say that he's the creator. It's another thing to say what our situation is. The resurrection makes the difference. God has shown us his, um, I suppose, his approval, I suppose, of Christ in raising him from the dead and showing us who he is. And the aim is that in everything he might be supreme or preeminent. And Ephesians 1 verse 10 says, God's purpose is to bring all things in heaven and earth, there we go again, under one head, even Christ. And in um, Corinthians 15, a great chapter about the, re the resurrection, there are some really interesting verses which I want to read. 15.24, then the end will come when he, that is Christ, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And the verse 28, when he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. We know that it says in Philippians um, if you look in Philippians 2, that hymn of praise, it says that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And we know also from Hebrews that we don't yet see everything put under Christ. It's a lovely verse from a poem by Amy Carmichael which says, We see not yet all things put under thee. We see not yet the glory that shall be. We see not yet and yet by faith we see. Alleluia. Hallelujah. One day we shall see this, these verses come into total fruition. And then we have the, the following on from that, he might have the supremacy that God was pleased to have all his fullness <clears throat> dwell in him. Paul spells this out further in chapter 2 of Colossians. Verse 9, where he says, In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Um, this, this emphasis on the person of Christ and his supremacy was partly to counter the beginnings of what became known as the Gnostic heresy, where people were arguing, <clears throat> based on lots of Greek philosophy and other Eastern philosophies, that there were grades, there were grades of of, of heavenly beings between God and man and Paul is arguing Christ is Christ is the Lord Christ is the creator and all the fullness of God lives in him but I do want to notice the next verse in chapter 2 verse 10 which is pretty stunning because it says and you that's us you have been given fullness in Christ good grief in Ephesians 4.13, Paul talks about us being built up in our faith until we become more mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. These are pretty stunning words. 
And in um, 120, Ephesians 1.22, it says, The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. No wonder the commentators call this stupendous and staggering. How great is our God indeed. And the reason for this, in verse 20, it says, God did this through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Just notice the all things at least five times in those six verses, all things. Or by him all things were created. All things were created for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. And he is to reconcile to himself all things. It's only one word in Greek, panta. So it's over and over again, hits you. And this is where uh, it's, it's almost, it it's really is beyond our comprehension. We only grasp, grope at it. There's that verse in um, the, servant, the song The Servant King, which always sends a shiver down my spine when we sing it. Hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. The juxtaposition is so amazing. And so um, God reconciles us human sinners with himself. Verse 21, and I'll go on to 21 and 22 of Colossians 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. He also reconciled God's chosen people, the Jews, with the rest of, of the world's population, the Gentiles. And Ephesians says it has, he has broken down the wall of partition between us. And he will even reconcile a fallen creation with what it was meant to be. Romans 8.21 says, For the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so we have these inspired words which show us the greatness of our God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does that <clears throat> leave us? You may well feel, feel overwhelmed, as I certainly did in looking at these passages and thinking about them, overwhelmed with awe and wonder. Stunned by the amazing grace of God. I hope you with me feel grateful for the inspiration and vision of these verses that make me at least want to follow and keep following um, the Lord Jesus and to know him better. And I hope you're encouraged to either, if you don't know him as your saviour, to get to know him and acknowledge him as the Lord of the universe and your saviour. But if you already are a believer in following him, I hope it encourages you to continue to grow more like him because just as Christ is the image of the invisible God, we can grow more like him in his image. 
And there'll be many other sermons this year which will go into the nitty-gritty of this and lots of our talks are about how to live as Christians and how to, which automatically mean that we grow more like Jesus. But let me finish with two verses from 2 Corinthians, which I really love. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed. Are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. How great is our God that he has done this.